Good. Well, um, you will know that uh, over the last while we've been looking at a few different things. And last week we looked at um, uh, 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 our translocal partnership. And before that, we looked at um, the apostolic heart. But this morning, I want to carry on in that series. But just from one or two conversations, I just want to bring some clarity and um, also a foundation for what we're going into. And that is... Last week we looked at our, our, our partnership between us and the Translocal Ministry and the ministry team which is, um, that we partner with primarily, which is uh, NCMI, New Covenant Ministry International. And that's our primary relationship. Uh, it's not an exclusive relationship, but it's a primary one. And I explained how all those connections worked uh, last week. And just to bring some clarity in that, because I'm aware that actually everything that we say and everything that we hear, we hear through our background, the lenses that we've grown up with, the things that our experiences and all of those things. And so um, just to clarify, NCMI is a team. It's not a denomination. There's no, there's no hierarchy. There's no HQ. There's no nothing to sign, to join. There's no uh, edicts that are sent out. This is how you will respond in these things. There's, uh, it's, it's a team that we connect with because so, every local church is autonomous. Remember, we covered that last week and governed by a local leadership team. And each one is different, but there are similarities in them because what connects us is our passion for Jesus, our vision to reach the lost, to plant churches and to go into all the nations. And so there's that similar value, similar passion uh, and similar heart that then connects us relationally. And those relationships should go beyond the elders and the leaders of the church to everybody in the church, not just with the team, but with other churches as well. And, and so, so, so that's a partnership rather, it's not a denomination. Okay, you might think, well, that's semantics. It's actually really important because if we see it the other way around, then we fall into other ways of thinking of hierarchy and all sorts of things. And, and it is a primary relationship. And, and I get the idea that we, we, we all should be able to connect with everybody, and we do. But there is also a need for a primary relationship. Let me explain why. When we took on leading this church, now we had been part of this church since this church started. When we took on leading this church in 2004, this church was partnering with three different groups. I don't know if you knew that. Three different groups. One of them was NCMI, but that was a name only. But three different groups, and, and rarely in reality, no one. Because no one really, it was this one and that one and this one, and they were all going in different directions. And then as a church, we said we connected with all of them, but we weren't really. And so when we took on leading, we felt that was something that God spoke to us clearly about as a need to be focused on who we build primarily with that would speak into the life of the church. And here's the reason why. The, 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 one of the churches that was planted from here by the person who led before me, they carried on that practice of more than one relationship, in, in Horsham when they, when they planted. And then when things went wrong, all those different partnerships just stood back with hands off because no one was actually taking responsibility because there wasn't a primary relationship. And so what's actually happened was none of those that were supposed to be connected had any authority or right or even access to help with the situation, which then meant that that church no longer exists A number of people, even elders from that church, no longer go to church because of hurt and pain and everything else. Because they were connected with many, but not a primary. Because you see, for us, that that, and there's a safety net in that. 
in that relationship that we have with the TransCircle team that we feel God's called us to partner with is an invited authority for them to come and speak into the life of the church. We don't have to take what they say as leaders, but we'd be stupid if we didn't. Because God gives us, like Ephesians 4 says, gifts so that we would grow in maturity, strengthened and encouraged and built up to all maturity. And so that relationship is one that is invited, so the authority is invited into the life of the church. So that if something does go wrong, they the ones that will come and help. It doesn't mean we only connect with them, we connect with other groups and other people, but they the ones who have primary access to speak into the life of the church, to help with us governing, to help with us our direction and what we see in, and open doors across the world. Make sense? And so that's the, the importance of that. And I know that uh, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, we read in 1 Corinthians he addresses this whole thing. Where some of you would say that I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas. And he says, who are we but just men? It's all about Jesus. And so that's a warning that although there's a primary relationship, it's not about them. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's not about a grouping. It's about Jesus. It's not about a team. It's about Jesus. But those relationships help us keep the focus on Jesus and for us to do all that he's called us to. But it's also that uh, correction that Paul brings to the church in Corinth is a good reminder that actually keep the focus on Jesus. Keep the focus on what he says, what he calls us to. And so that's why we, we speak about a primary relationship. And we also do work with the, the local churches across Crawley. And that goes in seasons of some, that relationship is far more, uh, the outworking of those relationships and friendships are far more visible, and at sometimes they're not. And that's a little bit more complicated because there's so many different groups, there's so many different aspects, and so many different approaches to different things, we have to find common ground. But then, the, and that, the, the, the depth at which that is worked out is dependent on the depth of relationship and trust between those, the leaders across the town. But also the finding commonality and finding agreement in things that we can work with. And so there are some things that we do together. Other things that we just, I know them, they know me, we, uh, and we respect each other, but there's not that connection. But there's a taking Crawley together as well. So we do work with local churches, we do work with us, but we have a primary relationship, which is what we spoke about last week. Does that make sense? Does that help bring some little bit of clarity? to that and, and, and I really felt that talking with one or two and praying about it that actually in this season that we're going into looking at building a base and strong of what God's called us to and fulfilling some of those words he's spoken that we need to I need to emphasize that for this next season so that we can actually build those connections stronger that's why we start putting the pictures on the back wall the few more this week from last week as I get people's photos we'll add to that but that we would grow in those connections and those relationships not neglecting the others but that helps us direct where are we going in the sense of mission and call across the world and that's, what we, that's why we're emphasizing that at the moment and so I also understand that sometimes people will come and hear one preach and then won't hear another preach for a while and then actually you can't hear just one in, in isolation we build and so it's, it's a, this is connected to last week which is connected to the week before which we looked at a whole lot of other stuff before that Do you remember when we came out of the pandemic there was a sense of actually through the pandemic a lot of people around the world including here 
seem to, uh, not intentionally, but almost going to, uh, because of the restrictions and everything else, go a little bit more inward focused, a little bit more um, kind of survival, and questions started being asked around the world of what is the purpose of church, what is the purpose of this, what is the purpose of that, and actually we've come out of that, and that we need to be, again, a clear call of this is who we are, this is what God's called us to, and, and reaffirming again the things that he said to us, but also for us to walk in the strength and the power of that. And, um, and we've seen that. So uh, that, that's also partly why we've looked at some of the things that we have looked at over the while, that we actually lift our gaze again to a bigger picture of what is around the world and the call of God on us individually, but also corporately to take the gospel to all the nations of the world. Uh, a sense of call and vision and purpose, and back to the sense of that he is the king and it's his kingdom that we are building and working for. And that's why we looked at pictures of the church. We looked at being led by the Spirit. We looked at the whole thing of replanting and God the gardener and then the apostolic heart. And now we're looking at building the base, which is actually to make the adjustments, to see what we can celebrate, to see what we need to adjust so that we walk in the fullness of that proactively, but also strategically and, and with a sense of purpose and direction and vision. And so as we go through this series, we're going to probably be looking at, well, we are going to be looking at different churches in the New Testament and take what can we learn from those and put them in place in our church here in Crawley today that we would walk through. Because the truths of the word never change. And the society that we live in, so the outworking of some of those might need a little bit of adjustment because of the culture that we live in and the things that we face. But the truths and the principles we need to put in place stand on those that are immovable and move with what God is saying. And so that's what, that's the launching pad of this series. And this morning I want to look at one aspect which some might think, well, that's easy. It's, it's not a complicated message. It's not a complicated message today. But it's a fundamental one that I think is really important for us to grasp. And um, I'm kind of going at the end back to the beginning so that we have this thread the whole way through. And when we look at the Ephesian church, we see in Acts chapter 18 and 19 is the birth of the church in Ephesus. And uh, you can read the account. I'd encourage you to read the account. Actually, I, like I said last week, read the book of Acts to get the bigger picture the whole way through. But if we look in Acts 18 and 19, we see the birth of the church in Ephesus, which, um, which then grew quickly. But it was a, it's a great example of what a, a base church or a church that functions as a base looks like. And we see then again the letter to the Ephesians, which is what Paul writes to them and encourages them about their faith, that uh, through Christ we have been made one in him, reconciling Jew and Gentile, we become one in Christ Jesus. Uh, Reminds us that uh, to have the love for the saints, that we're seated in heavenly places with him, that we have that authority, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, that we are his workmanship, that he has um, plans and, and, uh, for, for us to do what he called us to do. So we remember that we are saved by grace. We're not saved by works. But being saved by grace means that we saved through the blood of Jesus. We respond to him. And we're saved by grace. But it's very clear that we are created for works. So those works are, are the works, the good works, that he has prepared and advanced for us to do. And those works are not that we get salvation, but it's that because we are saved, we have things to do. 
And that's what Paul's reminding the Ephesians church of. And he speaks about them being rooted and grounded in love, that they would know the love of God, the breadth, the depth, the height, the width of the love of God. And when you look at the birthing of the church where there was uh, power encounter and people got saved and people, uh, the, there was like all the, the those who uh, were involved in witchcraft and um, magicians and burnt their scrolls and there was an uproar and a riot and there was thousands of people got saved because of that. And then it also says in Acts that the whole of Asia knew the gospel because of that church. So we're going to look at some of those things. But today we're going to look at this one thing. And that Ephesians chapter 5, he then goes on to speak about the relationship between husbands and wives and how we are reminded that we to love, to sacrifice, to be humble, to honor, to submit, to, to live in that place of a husband and wife relationship. But then he draws this incredible parallel, which is a mystery of how that relationship points to the relationship between God and the church. No wonder that the enemy has a go so much at marriage and the definition of marriage and the world is trying to change all of those things because actually it's instituted by God that it would reflect and point to his relationship with us as the church and he calls it a a mystery. And then Ephesians chapter 6 starts with us living in obedience to him, to the will of God, with a heart that is turned towards Jesus. And he says, live as a bondservant. If you know what a bondservant is, it's someone who actually was a slave that was given his freedom, but chose to continue to live as a slave for those masters. So they chose to stay in that position, usually because they were treated well, they loved them, and, there was, and, and that's what God calls us to be. To live as bondservants to him, to live as slaves of righteousness, slaves to him that our lives are not our own, but they are his. And then he goes on to speak about our authority in Christ Jesus, the, the, the armor of God and the spiritual warfare. And there's this incredible picture of what that church is and what Paul wrote to them, that they need to remain with Jesus Christ at the center, to, to, to live in his strength and in the understanding and the power of his love. That's very, very, very brief, and we're going to look at some of those things later on, not today, but in, in, in the course of the, of the series. The next we hear about the church in Ephesus is where? It's in the book of Revelation. So remember, this church is birthed by Paul... Priscilla, Aquila, and a number of others ministering into and finding these guys in Ephesus. There was Apollos was there. There was a very strong stand for the things of the kingdom. The whole of Asia became and knew the gospel because of them. Paul writes to them and reminds them of all these different things and, and draws this incredible picture of the importance of having Jesus central and our love for him. And he draws that parallel of marriage. And yet this is what happens in Revelation chapter 2. They are rebuked. God says to them, Revelation chapter 2, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, 
I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And then goes on, if they do not repent, and then he says, if you do, blessed as those who do. Very simple message. Keep Jesus the focus. This church was birthed in an incredible way. The letters that Paul wrote reminded of them of these facts. They were doing an incredible job, if you want to say that, of impacting the city, impacting the nations, sending people out to plant churches. Yet even in all of that, there's one thing that happened. God recognizes their good work. God recognizes their perseverance. God recognizes that they stuck at it even when they were persecuted for him. And he says, you've forsaken your first love. You've forsaken your first love. That's a desperate example of how a church can be strong and birthed in incredible things and do incredible things for God and yet somehow lose God. The relationship with Him. The great command is what? The greatest command. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? His response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest command of all was to love God above everything. Yet somehow they lost that. The greatest command to you and I is to love God above everything. Yet sometimes that can become a little clouded because of everything that we do. I wanted to start here this morning in the series because I would like us to to keep this thread the whole way through. Your first love for Jesus is so important. In everything we do, as we do the things that God calls us to do, as we make adjustments and put things in place, as we we go and reach the lost, as we go to Bristol, as we go to London, as we go to other places in the world, as we pray for the sick, as we serve, and all those other things, let's not lose the first love. Because if we lose that, we lose our purpose, we lose our passion. What was a privilege then becomes a burden and a chore. Humility is replaced by arrogance and pride because of what we've done. Our good works that we're busy doing become like filthy rags because we've lost Jesus. He needs to be the center. He needs to be the purpose. He needs to be the reason that we do all of these things. If we lose that, we run the risk of becoming very functional and lose our power and impact. Now you see, you'd note that in Revelation, when God speaks to them, he says, I, remember, I know your hard work. I know your, you, you, you don't like those who are false. You've tested and you've seen, you've persevered. He doesn't say, don't do all of that. 
See, often we can hear things like this and we think, yeah, Jesus, I need to give attention to that. And so I'm going to stop doing these things and I'm going to do this. That isn't what he says. God doesn't say stop doing those works. Stop, stop testing those who claim to be of me and are not. Stop. He doesn't say stop that. He says, remember what you did at first and do those. And I read it as this because actually he's, he's praising them for the things that they have done and are continually doing. But he says, this one thing, you need to add that back in again. You need to add that to it. So it's not a, I'm going to stop all of this and I'm just going to focus on me and Jesus. Because if we focus on me and Jesus, then it, the natural outcome is all those other things. It's like, carry on doing those, but put back the central focus, which is Jesus, your love for him, your first love. And he says, go back and, 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 and remember the height from which you've fallen, not the things that you've done, not the accomplishments, not the extent of what, what you've managed to accomplish, but the height with, from which you've fallen is the intimacy and the, and the knowledge and understanding and the relationship with Jesus. Remember what you did at first and do those things. It's exactly, and I think that's partly why God uses that analogy of marriage when He speaks to them. We've had our we had our twenty seventh wedding anniversary this week. Ooh, yeah, twenty seven. We've known each other for forty one, but we've been married twenty seven. So, and I was just thinking through that because you know I don't know about you, but I would kind of look through the wedding album. You much look much younger, more hair, thinner, all sorts of other things, but. You start remembering those things. Think, remember what we did at first. Do we still do those? And if that's true with a relationship that is human, how much more is it the one that that's based on and that should point to and reflect is our relationship with God? Remember the things you did at first and do those things. Don't neglect your first love for Jesus. Can I implore you, encourage you, beseech you, whatever, whatever. Don't neglect that. Your first love for Jesus. That as he remains center, as he remains the focus of everything we are, everything that we do, then our lives make sense. Then what we do, what we do has power. What we do has impact for eternity. We would be wise to follow these words and make the adjustments of what he said. So what are the things that you did at first? If we look at some of the... I was reading this morning... Excuse me, I was reading this morning the book of Daniel. Daniel... We might think, well, actually, in the busyness of life, things get, things get in the way and we... we it's, we're saved by grace and things do get in the way, but let's put things in place that help us maintain that first love relationship. Daniel was taken from where he lived as an exile, brought into a foreign land, Babylon. He was given a new name. He was schooled in, in all their religion, all everything. That, 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 so that they tried to indoctrinate, they, they changed everything they could about him and the other three and a whole lot more. But Daniel's the one we're looking at. You think the world you live in hasn't changed your name sometimes it feels like they're trying to indoctrinate you to think the way that they think but not like this they were made to eat the food they were schooled they were all of those things 
And yet what we learn about Daniel is this, is that he maintained the disciplines in his life that kept his love for God central to everything. To the point where where they tried to, later on, where uh, Nebuchadnezzar dies, and then um, I think it's Darius becomes the king, where they tried to, to trick him, and they said that the only way we can ever have anything against this man is in regard to his relationship with his, father, with, with his God. There's nothing that he does that is... Is unto, there's no, nothing in his dealings with the, the kingdom of, of, of the king that was in any way was dodgy in any aspect. There's not, in no other area except the only way that they could find a way was if they attacked his faith. And yet even then, he maintained those disciplines that kept Jesus central, that kept God the focus of everything. And we've got a lot to learn from people like him. Daniel, David, Joshua, Moses, Jesus. That we put things in place, spiritual disciplines or exercises. Sometimes it's probably better to say spiritual exercises because no one really likes disciplines, but spiritual disciplines or spiritual exercises. Some people don't like exercise. Promote a love for God and spiritual growth. That's why we do them. That's why we put them in place. And so I want to give just a few things as ideas. They're not my ideas. They're from, uh, from what I see in Scripture. They're just, a, just as some of the things that maybe we need to put in place in our lives that maintain Jesus as the focus and Him as our first love. And I think these need to be daily. Some not daily, but you'll get what I'm saying. The first is prayer. And in that area of prayer, I'm not just talking about crying out to God and asking Him for help. I'm talking about us doing that and crying out and praying for others, but spending time speaking with God. See, I actually think one of the key things for all of us, especially in the world we live in, is the need to put unhurried time with God in solitude and silence before God to be with him just to be with him you think well I'm too busy well then you are too busy and you need to make adjustments otherwise your business is going to kill you I think we all need to put place where we can just be with God people don't like silence I'm quite happy with silence people don't like silence Silence and solitude with God. Jesus got up early before anybody else and went and spent time with the Father. We don't know what he did there, but we know that he went away on his own with the Father. That's how we keep him as the central focus, is prayer. Reading scripture. Not just reading scripture. I mean, it is just reading scripture script, like as a devotional, but also adding to that studying scripture. So that the truth of Scripture is something that we study and feed ourselves from. That when we read Scripture, God reveals those things so that we can weigh up what is being said. Weigh up what the world says against the truth. You won't know the truth if you don't read the truth. And we don't study the truth. Don't rely on me studying the Word to bring a preach. That's what our role is. But also, each one of us needs to be studying the Word of God. So we know what it says. 
That's how we keep Jesus as the center. That's how we keep him as our first love. I think then there are also the rhythms of life that we need to give attention to. And these aren't laws. These are principles, I think, that are actually helpful. That we need to be those who sometimes slow down. Uh, And I know it's a bit ridiculous me saying this, but we need to take breaks and rest. And be restored and refreshed in God. With that, the next one, it's not a contradiction. I think it's a fulfillment of it. Because you see, I think sometimes we can see one thing. We think, yeah, I'm exhausted. I need rest. I'm going to take that one. I'm going to put... Or it's like, no, I need to stop all these things. I need to do this. And, And we miss the point. The point is actually God's concerned about our whole lives individually so that corporately we can fulfill everything he's called us to. And so the next one is actually our activities. So one is our rest and the rhythms of rest, but the other is our rhythms of activity. That actually the good works that God has predestined for us to do we need to do. So there's activities of service, activities of mission, activities of using the gifts that God's given you. That's part of keeping Jesus central. When we keep our focus on him and everything that we do is then for him. And with that comes the fact that we do it together. It's not just one doing it on their own, but it's together we lead. Together we do these things. Together we serve. Together we're on mission. Together we use our gifts. Together we see God move in powerful ways. When we try and do it all on our own, then actually we, we battle. But when Jesus is our focus, we spend time with him, we spend time in his word, we spend time resting when we need to rest and actively doing what he's called us to do, serving, ministering, that's when we start to live. And then the last is relationships. Our relationship with God is first and foremost above everything else, above your children, above your marriage, above your friendships, above your work is your relationship with God. I think there's a very good principle that I sometimes get right, sometimes I don't, but I always aim at is try and stop during the day and just reconnect with God. And you might think, well, James, you work in mini- your worker's ministry. Yes, well, actually, it makes it much easier to fall into work than, min- than, than this. Because I have to realize that every time I read the scriptures, it's not so that I've got something to preach to you, but actually I've got something for me. And so I try and stop at different moments through the day just to reconnect with God. Just take five minutes. Saying, God, let me just focus again. Why am I here? What are you calling us to, God? What do you want to say? And that's possible for each one of us because actually, no matter how busy your job is, I I bet you can have five minutes somewhere. If it means that you set an alarm and think, well, actually, it's time. You might think, well, that's a bit formularized. And you know me, I don't like formula. But actually, that's sometimes helpful to get us out of a bad formula of nothing into a thing of actually, I need to connect with God. And what happens is then actually that's involving God in your everyday life. More than just in the morning when you pray or the evening when you pray or whatever. It's actually all the way through. And I think that's why when you look at Daniel, he's such a challenging encouragement. Because it says he prayed three times a day. In the morning he, sat, he prayed. Midday he prayed. Evening he prayed. As was his custom. Even when everything went, he still that's what he did. And that's how they knew that there was something different about him. I think there's a lot that we can learn from that when we think, well, actually, we need to sometimes structure those times where five minutes, more if you can, but just to stop, God, I welcome you here. Just come and speak to me. I guarantee you, if we start putting that as a practice, you can have the most hectic day. As soon as you bring God back in, we assess everything. 
Why? Because when we wait on him, he refreshes, he renews, he restores. I get some have got terribly pressurized, hectic jobs. Even if it means you set an alarm and go to the toilet for five minutes and just say, God, come and talk to me. It's worth it. Because you remember what the thing is. This church was birthed in Ephesus with this incredible thing that God did. Incredible power. Where the, where the name of God was held in such high regard. Where they burned all those scrolls publicly. And because of what God was doing, there was a riot against them. And yet they stood strong. And, and Paul the apostle wrote a letter to them. And part of that letter to them was like, imagine that written to us. Saying, don't forget these things. And a key part of that was their relationship and their love for God and knowing what that is. And they maintained all the other things, but the most simplest, the most key of love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength above everything else, the first love, that's what they lost. Told you it was a simple message. My question in ending is this. Where are you at in that? Don't answer me. You need to consider it yourself. Do you need to consider the things you did at first? You see, I don't... When you... When we first get saved, there's, so, there's such a hunger and a passion and a desire. And actually, we should grow more and more in that. Because we never mature out of that. Well, we shouldn't. We never graduate from those first things we did. They should be things that we always do. A passion, the studying of the Word. And you can't get too much of reading the Word. And you can't stop telling others about Him. You can't... Everything... Every, because Why? Because you've suddenly encountered Him. And yet we somehow drift and so slowly we lose that because we're so busy doing other things. And we think, well, that's then. We don't graduate from that. Are there things that you did at first that you need to remember today? And if there are, can I encourage you? Put them back into place. Even if it means your family thinks you've gone mad, doesn't matter. If it's what means that you keep Jesus as your first love, make the change. Because not only is your relationship with him going to get better, but your family relationships also going to get better. You think, well, I need to change. Yes, we do. And land with what he has. There's so much noise in the world around us, sometimes we just need to still that and say, God, come and speak. Jesus, I want you to be central. You see, when we do that, he's the foundation, the rock, the, the security that we build on. Then no matter what goes on around, we are unshakable. Because why? Because Jesus is central. Everything we do is because of him. Everything we are is because of him. How we do things is because of him. The passion that we have is because of him. Jesus remains central. Let us not be those who individually or corporately are rebuked for losing our first love. Though we might have a list as long as our arm about what we've done for him and the good works and everything else. Let's not lose Jesus as our first love. Let us do all that we can
to keep him in that place with passion and faith. So that as we now look at this is what it means to be a base. This is what it means to this is what we need to adjust. This is remember this, Jesus remains the center. Jesus remains the center. No matter what we do, Jesus remains the center. Why? Because he is the one through whom we have salvation. He is the one who is our focus on everything. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us so much, so much more than we even know ourselves. And we can read in scripture of how you've created us, you've fashioned and formed us. Before a word is even on our mouths and uttered, you know it in its entirety. Jesus, that you are the one who came as a man to die on the cross, to take our sin, to reconcile us with the Father, that we would live with purpose and a relationship with you. God, I pray this morning for those who might not know you, that as they call out, show me who you are, Jesus, reveal yourself to them. And God, those of us who are your children and do you know you, Lord, I pray that you by your spirit would remind us of the things that we need to put back in place that keep you central in everything that we do. Father, where we've lost that, Lord, in response, just like the rebuke in Revelation, we repent. And we choose to make the adjustments. So Jesus, that you would remain the focus. Lord, not that we would give up everything else that we do for you, but Lord, that we realign. Jesus, it's all about you. It's all for you. Our lives are yours. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would breathe afresh on every single one of us. That the breath of God would fill us again that we would overflow with the life of your spirit and a passion and a love for you Jesus Amen